Welcome to the I Am Woman Project. I am your host, Catherine Plano. I am a creative soul adventurer, a modern day alchemist, and on a mission to empower the conscious people of this world, those who seek to learn, grow, understand, and become the very best version of themselves that they can be. Every week, we have thought leaders, change instigators, and inspirational human beings from around the globe that offer you profound teachings and recent discoveries from the world of neuroscience, positive, cognitive, and spiritual psychology to help you build wealth, health, love, and achieve lasting transformation. So join us here every week for new lessons on how to lead a life that matters, how to escalate your life after failure, and how to inject more meaning connection and resilience into your life and your business. As a way to thank our guests for their time, energy and wisdom, we would love to demonstrate our appreciation, gratitude and admiration. We would love to hear from you. What was your key takeout from today's session? By writing a review in Apple Podcasts with our guest's name and insight. And when you do, please make sure to take a photo and send your photo to support at katherineplano.com.au and we will send you a personalized cosmic blueprint for free. It's a report based on your unique birth chart to discover your true calling and how you can best make a difference in the world. Thank you. This week, as always, we have a super, super amazing guest for you. We have the beautiful Rebecca Torsig. Rebecca is a Kansas City writer and teacher with her doctorate in creative nonfiction and disability studies. She has led workshops and presented at the University of Michigan, the University of Kansas and Davidson College on disability representation identity and community. Her work appears in publications from Time and the Florida Review to Design Sponge and Good Company. Released by Harper One in August 2020, her memoir in essays, Sitting Pretty, The View from My Ordinary Resilient Disabled Body provides a nuanced portrait of a body that looks and moves differently than most. She also runs the Instagram platform at Sitting Pretty where she crafts mini memoirs to contribute nuance to the collective narratives being told about disability. She lives in a tiny old house with her fussy family of tender-hearted snugglers. It's now time to tune into this one very inspirational human being. Enjoy. Well, today I am super excited about our guest. We have the beautiful Rebecca Torsig. Welcome to I Am Woman Project. Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you for coming on the show. And I know it's going to be an awesome conversation just from our pre-talk prior to coming on the show. Uh, For our listeners, I was just explaining to Rebecca, she is full of bubbles, lots um, (laughs) lots of energy. So the way that we love to get started is we always love to ask our woman of inspiration to share her unique story. So Rebecca, tell us what inspired you to do what you do today? 
Well, I have been, um, I grew up disabled. I grew up using a wheelchair. Um, I became disabled when I was about three years old um, from cancer and um, grew up in a world where I just did not see um, vibrant, strong, interesting, um, complicated uh, women with disabilities depicted in any um, storytelling on screens or in books or magazines or on the news. Um, I saw a lot of one-dimensional representation of disability growing up, uh, but nothing that felt like it resonated with who I saw myself as. Um, so I grew up in in that space and didn't have a lot of um, community with with disabled people. I didn't. Um, I felt pretty um, alone and um, different and outside of um, of the. I don't know what I should be um, or what would be acceptable to be. And so as I got older and found community and found language to describe and, and give voice to my experience, um, I felt pretty compelled uh, to write about that, um, both as a way to understand for myself um, what my experience has been and my place in the world and, and how to make sense of the chaos that is around us. Um, but also, um, to share with people and connect with people and, um, find people either who were, um, coming from a similar perspective or people who weren't and were interested. And, um, so that's what I've been doing for a while now. Um, I, um, started writing online in maybe like 2014, I think. Um, I just created this little Instagram account where I started narrating my experiences and I called them mini memoirs of my life and this disabled body of mine. And, um, that kind of transformed and evolved into a book that came out, uh, in August of 2020. Um, so yeah, I think that that book exists because, um, I didn't have it when I was younger and I can't imagine what it would have meant to me if I had. Um, and it exists, um, in a spirit of curiosity, um, about what it means to live in this world with anybody at all. Um, it exists as, uh, an attempt to connect and have conversation with people about just that thing. Um, yeah, that's maybe the short answer of it. Thank you. I love that. And Rebecca, you mentioned about, um, about the way that you saw yourself. So who did you see yourself as when you were little? I think I saw myself as um, sort of a, a broken version of what I sh should be. Um, I I saw lots of representation of um, non-disabled women as sort of the center of stories about love and um, and career and motherhood. Um, and, and I was sort of like that, but really fundamentally not. Um, and so I think I felt like I had to try my best to, to separate myself as much from my disabled self and, and, um, and strive to be a non-disabled version of myself, which sounds silly because it's not possible. I am paralyzed. I can't walk and I, I won't. Um, but I would like crop my disability out of photos. And I would, um, I, I, I've written about this a little bit in the book, but it's so strange when I would write about, um, in my diary, like as a middle school, like a, um, teenager, I would write these sort of dreams about what my future life would be like with, um, you know, a boyfriend and a cool career and living in the city. And, and, and I would write these little scenarios out, but I would always write myself as not disabled. 
um, which is strange. It's, it's a weird thing to look back on because I don't, I think my brain was sort of trying to make my future and my place in it fit. And there was no way that I could imagine myself living a vibrant, um, exciting, fulfilling life as a disabled person. I just, um, I had not seen it anywhere. And so, um, I hope that answers your question. It, uh, I, I feel like I, I just, um, I felt like I should be, um, and, and would only be successful and happy and fitting in a non-disabled version of myself, which I, which was not available to me. Um, but I tried my best to sort of to contort myself to fit into the closest approximation to that, that I could. That's pretty amazing. So I was curious because of what you do today. And so you had a vision regardless, you didn't allow the disability to be your obstacle. You still, you had the visions and, and look at you now, you know, that they, they, you, you've, you know, we're talking about your beautiful little boy and you've achieved mm. so much. And so I think this is really important for us to speak about because I think about most of us, including myself, most of us, and especially women, we always have this idea of what we should be, regardless mm. of, of um, what we're at and, and where we are and who we are. We're always looking at beyond of what we are. Mm. Um, so I'm really curious. So you had these visions, regardless of, of, of like you were, you were saying, um, you were cutting photos up and everything like that. What other things were you doing to manifest what you are currently experiencing today, which is pretty amazing with what you do? Well, uh, it, it took me a while to, um, I mean, there had, to, there were some pretty fundamental shifts in, in, um, how I saw myself and, um, how I saw myself in the world that had to happen first. So like when I'm talking about cropping myself out of pictures, that was, um, a younger version of myself. Um, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> um, I, I, gosh, how do I tell this story in the short version? Um, I ended up uh, getting married very young, um, for all the wrong reasons, which I don't know. I think a lot of us do <laughs> when we're young. Um, and, um, and kind of found myself, in, uh, at the end of my rope, um, pretty desperate. And, um, I would say that getting out of that marriage was the beginning for me of, um, I don't really becoming the person that I am now, um, of, of taking big risks and saying, um, I, I, um, I cannot continue to live in this amount of, um, I, I guess I can't continue to live in a box this small, I think would be the way to say it. So, um, I left that marriage in a pretty, um, I don't know, um, loud way. It was not an easy exit. Um, but from there I, um, I started going to graduate school and found disability studies as, um, like a form of scholarship and, and found all of these writers who were, um, writing about the body and the experience of disability in a way I'd never seen before and um, started rethinking really my relationship with my body. And, um, and, and I, I would say that I, I got to this place where I was um, really allowing myself to feel the fullness of my experience in the world. I had lived in this way that was so fractured and like cut off from myself and, um, and not really 
didn't really allow disability to be a part of myself because disability seemed like a bad, horrible thing. Um, so I had to distance myself from it as much as possible. And so I guess, I guess I could say that my twenties was this process of, um, education and reintegration of myself, um, where I was reading and learning and consuming all of, of these, this story, um, and scholarship about disabilities. And then also allowing myself to really sit in my own experience, um, and feel it all, feel all of that, the good and the bad and the hard and the happy and, and let all of it be. Um, and when I was able to do that, I, I think I sort of came out of that, um, oh gosh, it sounds so cheesy and extreme, but like, it was a bit of a rebirth for me. Um, and so I suppose, um, that rebirth, um, I, I, you said that I was like full of, I was bubbly or full of bubbles. I think that a lot of that is the process of really, um, the refinement that comes from reckoning with, um, what you, who you really are and like the fullness of that. Um, and so now, gosh, I forgot your original question. Um, Am, no, I, am I getting to it? <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. I, I love it. And it's, I think it's more so, I mean, what as you're speaking through it, I, I was just thinking that, um, you know, that's one thing we don't, we're not very good at, I think, um, is taking risks. And I love the way that you said mm. that um, you're, you know, you're taking big risks, living in a box that's small. Um, mm. What a powerful statement because we all uh, hold back from taking risks. Um mm. What was that thing for you though? What was that, the thing that went no more, like the, that, that turning, that turning point for you or that crossroad? Yeah. yeah that's a good question. Um, I, I do. Yeah. Gosh, there's, what would that be? Um, I think, so I got, as I mentioned, I got married for all of the wrong reasons. Um, uh, I married a person that I was, um, I had known for my whole life. Um, and who actually really did love me. Um, and that felt like maybe that could be enough. Um, but we were completely incompatible, which I think has only become more and more clear to people as time has passed and our lives have gone in very different directions. Um, we were very, very incompatible, um, and really didn't have business being any more than like childhood friends. Um, and honestly in that marriage, um, my body started throwing a fit. I mean, my body was basically like, you have ignored me long enough. You have ignored your gut. You've ignored your intuition. Um, you've ignored every signal that we've sent you. And so we are just like throwing up the red flag. Um, and I, um, I had only been married for about six months before, um, my body, like I, I was a, unable to eat. I could hardly drink fluids. I wasn't sleeping. Um, I was just in so much distress in that marriage. Um, and I think I, and I point to the marriage because that, I mean, that's like leaving it was a really tangible evidence of shifting and like making different choices and choosing a different life for myself. But it wasn't just the marriage. I mean, I had lived all of my, um, adult life up to that point, really ignoring what I needed and wanted and thinking that I, I, um, I had to, I had to, I only could live within this, this small box. I could only, um, I would never expect anyone really to love me or want to marry me. So of 
like I have to choose this husband. I was terrified of figuring out how I was going to take care of myself. I mean, we, we, you talked, you mentioned a little bit about risk taking, um, and risks for disabled people are often different than they are for non-disabled people in terms of things like, um, healthcare, like, um, the, um, necessity to have healthcare in the United States, um, and be able to afford that healthcare is a, is a steep, um, mountain to climb. And, um, for disabled people who also often, um, struggle to find employment, which in the United States healthcare is tied to employment. That's just a really steep barrier to try to crawl out of, um, how, so solving the problem of taking care of yourself as a disabled person for me, um, was a very complicated risk and not one that all disabled people are in the position to be able to take. I mean, it was a risk for me, but for some people it's literally impossible. So I want to acknowledge that when we're talking about risks and disability, um, but ultimately, yeah, I, I had, I had created, or I, I lived in a world that, that told me that I only had so many options and I really bought into that. And in some ways that's true. I, I do have fewer options as a disabled person in some ways, but in other ways I had sort of resigned myself to that and didn't, and I, and didn't really believe that, um, there was any other alternate path for me. And I guess, when I got into that marriage and realized and, and really had to reckon with like this, this is going to be my life. Like I'm really choosing something this small and I'm really don't like, I really don't think that there's anything beyond this tiny bubble for me. I mean, I, I had dropped out of school. Um, I, um, I was really just like in this relationship for, um, reasons that, um, we're limiting. It was like, no one else is going to love me and I don't know how to provide for myself. So I guess I'm just going to choose this guy I grew up with, um, and, and sign up for that for the rest of, of my life. And, and I think the finality of that and looking around at my life at that point and, and realizing like, or, or, or asking myself, like, is this really it? Like, this is really all that my life is going to be. Um, and I think, you know, I'm working my way to, toward it of, the, of your, to your question of like, what was the thing? I think that was it. I think looking around at that small little life I had, I was in, um, and saying like, good Lord, that can't be it. Um, and of course my body was saying like, <laughs> something needs to change. Um, so that, that prompted, um, some, uh, genuine grappling and reckoning as well. Um, but I, I, I would be remiss if I, if I pretended like that was all internal, like it was all just, um, a matter of perspective for me. I, 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 I want to acknowledge both that as a disabled woman, those challenges were unique and also want to acknowledge that I had a certain amount of privilege within that experience to be able to make some choices to get out. Um, and I, I know that's not true for everybody in that position. So, um, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was quite a time in my life. <laughs> mm. So it's, uh, some, some of our, I guess we've had on, on the show, they call that the dark night of the soul where you, where you just mm. yearn for more. There's got to be more. And that mm. was the calling for you. It was got, yeah. there's got to be more. And as you were sharing your story, there was very much, there's this external driver or external love to once you've done your, your, when you went into your studies and research, mm. there's this real feel of internal love where you really embraced 
who you were and integrated with the self, which is something we all struggle with for our whole entire life. And you've um, uh, achieved that. So I'm curious, what was the, the things that you learned uh, in your research? What were some of the things that really profound, those turning points for you? Yeah, well, I would say the first one um, was pretty massive for me. Uh, I was reading Leonard Davis, um, uh, who's a, a disability scholar. And um, in this chapter um, that I was reading, he really pinpoints um, the difference between the social model and the medical model of disability. And I don't think that he actually used that language, but I remember this quote um, where he was talking about how disability is not the object, and I'm going to bungle this, but something along the lines of disability is not the object, um, the woman with a cane um, or the the woman with a wheelchair, but it's a set of experiences and it's a system and it's a it's a set of structures. Um, that um, create a disabling experience. Um, So that was this profound shift for me of of growing up in this disabled body and feeling like everywhere that I arrived, um, I I was kind of the problem in the room, right? Like, oh, now we have to figure out how to get her up the stairs. And now we have to figure out um, how to carry her up this hill, right? Like I was this like physical, literal burden on the spaces that I entered. And when I read Leonard Davis talking about how disability is not the woman with the cane, um, it's a set of structures. Um, I was suddenly able to shift sort of the light. And instead of just focusing and, and shining this bright light on myself as the problem in the room, it was like the lights were lifted and I saw um, all of the things around me that contributed to the experience that I have in my body. Um, and, and once I saw that, I couldn't unsee that. So, um, the difference for me, like when I go to a space, um, that has thought of disabled bodies and was constructed with a disabled body in mind, my experience in that space is ease and access. Um, and, and, Um, And when I enter into a space that has not considered disabled bodies and has not been designed with disabled bodies in mind, my experience of that space is um, is burdensome and frustrating and um, isolating. So that's a really small example to kind of illustrate the the difference between those two ways of looking at disability, the experience versus the object. Um, But for me. It, oh my goodness, I can't even describe, I mean, like reading that article for the first time, it felt, I've said before, it felt like the physics in the room were changing, um, that fundamental shift between the problem being located within the person, the thing that needs to be fixed is the person versus the problem being located in the structure um, and the problem needing to be fixed being surrounding that body, the structures, both physical um, and social. Um, so that, yeah, I hope that that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, that would be one of the things, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And when you were saying that, I was thinking of uh, Albert Einstein, and I'm not going to do it justice, but it's something about once the mind is open or can see new ideas, it will never return to its original source or size, mm. whatever that was. So it's it's like mm-hmm. once, you, once you saw that, you could not uh, see it any other way. Mm. Right. Yeah, mm. yeah, it was huge. It was a huge shift for me. Um, and I think... I think that that is a that that is a huge game changer for something like shame. Um, when I show up to a space and I feel like I'm the problem in the room, that is um, 
that is a shaming experience. Like I, I, I fundamentally am wrong um, and making life more difficult for people because of it versus I'm experiencing discomfort because um, I'm moving through a world that does not consider me. And that doesn't mean that I'm wrong. It, it means that there are th some things that we could change about the way that the world operates. Um, the And the same is true for social stigma too, right? Like it's not just physical spaces, but there's stigma attached to um, disability. And so another example would be the difference between um, feeling um, the stigma of being a disabled parent and the judgment that might come or skepticism or doubt that might come with that. Um, and instead of absorbing that and, and kind of operating from that doubt and skepticism myself, being able to differentiate between a social stigma around disability and parenting and my own experience of disability and parenting and what that actually is like, um, and not just absorbing all of that as if that is true and the only way to be in the world, um, or the only way to be a parent, um, but recognizing that I live in a world where there are narratives about disability and parenting that are not true to my experience of disability and parenting. Um, so it's, it is, it's a fundamental it's a fundamental uh, tool to have in being able to navigate the world in the body that I have. It's, it's it's really interesting. When you were talking, I was just thinking evidence. A lot of the time, these narratives that we play out in our own minds, we don't have the evidence to back them up. Uh, and then mm -hmm. you were talking about you were able to distance yourself from the external narratives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Rebecca, I'm curious. I threw your most amazing adventurous life what has been your greatest lesson learned thus far oh goodness greatest lesson but it's a, it's a superlative um yeah where would I start with that um hmm I think one thing that I I have learned the hard way is that um, my gut and intuition um, are vital tools that my body has given me um, to navigate the world. And uh, my feelings, all of them are, uh, are, are signals that my body sends to me to, to help me make choices, um, to help me decide which direction to turn. Um, and I spent a lot of my life um, thinking that 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 my feelings were um, untrustworthy and that my feelings and my gut and my intuition would misguide me. And I, it was my job to sort of um, find a more um, to use my brain and logic and 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 sort of um, sort things out up here in my head and not trust my gut or my feelings or emotions. Um, and I think, um, learning to listen to myself and to trust my, my feelings, um, and to know, and to learn to, to sort them out. Right. And to kind of, to, to figure out how to harness that tool, um, to pay attention and, um, listen to myself, listen to my, instincts, um, that, that didn't, that wasn't obvious to me. And I, I learned that, um, 
what happens when you ignore that that tool set that your body has has for you. Um, I learned the hard way what happens when I ignore that part of myself. Um, so yeah, I think being in tune with my heart, um, is, has been one of the most important things that I've learned in adulthood is, is listening to my, um, listening to my heart and gut, um, and letting myself feel all of the feelings. I love the way that you you say you say allowing yourself to feel and when you were sharing your story the good the bad all of the experiences mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. sometimes that's what we tend to push them away in the hope that they will resolve themselves and I don't know about you how you do it but I know for me and I know it's one of those things that sometimes when I get a gut feeling uh, my mind gets in the way and it's almost like I have this conversation with my mind and gut and uh, and sometimes the mind wins and as you say, I will have to go through, down that path and experience it. And it's not always a pleasant one. And then find myself going, damn, I should have listened to my gut. So yeah. do you ever have that internal dialogue? Oh, yes. I feel like you're describing how it works exactly for me too. Yeah. Um, that I, my, I feel my gut. I know, I know. Um, that it, and sometimes it's just a, it's a matter of um, tuning in because it can be a very small feeling, right? It can be subtle. Um, and so, so, uh, I do, I have the habit of, um, of dismissing that very quickly. And then my head sort of shifts into gear and, and I try to rationalize, um, that away or, or pick a different decision based on what my head says. Um, but, and then in retrospect, a lot of times is where you learn that lesson and you look back and think, but I knew that I knew it. I knew this. Um, I should have, I should have gone with my gut. I should have listened to my intuition. Um, and, and so, you know, I've had, I, I continually am learning and relearning that lesson, but, um, hopefully it's getting easier with time, um, to let myself really just pay attention to my gut and, and, and honor that and trust it and respect it. Mm, and I, I I love that too. I think that, and I think that comes with time and experience. Mm-hmm, I think with mm-hmm. me, it's when I, I I call it playing ping pong in my mind when I have something going, you know, from one side to the other, um, and over analyzing. The moment I say drop this into your heart, it it kind of mm. um, makes me feel a lot more grounded and in a better place to make a decision. Mm, uh, I that, like that phrase. Which one? Dropping into your heart. Drop, drop the, yeah, drop into your heart. Yeah, I mm. can picture, I can, I can almost like feel that in my body. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And you can see when, even you know, I've had conversations with friends, and I could hear, and as they're talking, it's all in their mind. I'm like, drop that right into your heart. Give yourself a moment. Hold your heart even, and take a deep breath. And now, mm. how do you feel about what you were speaking about? A lot of the times, I go, oh, I forget. What was I talking about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Rebecca, let's go back in time. If we were to go back in time, what advice would you give your younger self? Mm. Oh, younger self, man, that makes, that just makes me feel things just thinking about her. Um, what would I have told her? Um, I mean, I think, um, gosh, I think I was so tuned in to, this story about who I needed to be in order to be acceptable and lovable and valuable. Um, and we talked about that a little bit at the front end, right? Like, um, a person who doesn't have a disability, a person who doesn't have, have needs, physical needs, 
um, who um, looks and moves and lives like her non-disabled counterparts. And, um, and, and in my mind, um, according to that story, every deviation from that, the greater the deviation, the greater the, um, what, um, unacceptability, um, the greater, uh, or the more unacceptable I became and, um, more unlovable and undesirable that I became. And I, I, I would want to tell her the story, um, that goes differently. Um, I would want her to hear the story. I would want her to hear many stories about, um, about women who, um, who don't fit that mold. Um, and, and not just, and, and not, it's not just that they can live vibrant lives despite that, but almost because of that, like your difference, um, the thing that you are carrying as so shameful because it's so different. I, I, it sounds trite, but like that difference in you is gorgeous and valuable and something to nurture and cherish, um, and be proud of and, um, and pay attention to, um, and, and does not make you less lovable or desirable, but, um, is kind of your superpower, um, uh, and, and hold on to that. Um, and, you know, I mean, like it's the, it's the, it's, it's not that original to say like, you know, be you, um, uh, like stop trying to be something that you, um, not only will never be, um, but you don't need to be. Um, I think I would want her to just be able to have all of the stories that empower her to lean into that. Rebecca, we are so connected. I was just writing down, as you were saying, some of the things that, and we all go through this when you're talking about dividing with oneself until we integrate with the self, which is truly, uh, loving thyself. Uh, but when you were talking about your uniqueness, and I wrote down superpower um, purely because um, it is a superpower. If you look at it, and this is a shift in mindset, and I remember a little while ago I um, worked with a lady who was um, stuttering and she allowed this to be an, an obstacle for her in her life. And we did some work together and I said, what about if you looked at that as your superpower and bring it up, right, right from uh, mm -hmm. the start as you are addressing the audience to say, hey, just in case you haven't noticed, I've got a stutter. And just the fact that she had done that, the whole room afterwards said, thank you so much for letting us know. And there was this mm -hmm. level of lightness about her and she didn't have as much pressure on herself mm -hmm. to deliver and she did such a great job. Just the fact of switching that into this is my superpower mm. instead of looking at this is my obstacle. Hmm. And and her um, having, I mean, that's like her showing up and kind of grabbing the power in that room in an interesting way um, before anybody can take it away or um, like she she's, that's an interesting move. I imagine that that would feel really different to be in that space once you'd grabbed that grabbed a hold of that from the front end um, oh, versus trying like scrambling the whole time um to uh to try to be something that you're not or pretend that you're different than you are um yeah I mean I don't I don't want to minimize that that I mean I don't think it for me I don't think it has all been uh an intellectual shift I mean um 
I, there are still barriers uh, in, in the world around us and there's still stigma attached to disability. It's not like that has gone away. Um, but uh, I do think that, that being able to um, find language for my experience, to find a community, I think that, that it's like, it's like um, that shift in me has made it, to, made it manageable um, to exist in a world that has barriers, I guess. Um, and has given me tools for navigating those barriers. It's not like all of those barriers have gone away, but it is different to exist. Um, they have a different hold on me, I guess, which is maybe, maybe similar to what you're describing with this woman that you connected with, um, like finding a way to, um, have a different relationship with those barriers maybe as part of the internal work. Mm, absolutely and it's and it is like you said it is an experience it's it's about um it's a journey right it's it's about riding through the waves and we all go through that it's about how we um shift our mindset and how we look at things and how we respond to things rather than react Mm -hmm. to uh certain situations around us Mm. rebecca I'm, i'm curious who's been your greatest influence Ooh, again, the, the superlatives, the greatest. Um, I've had a, a lot of people have influenced me quite a bit. Um, where would I start? Um, you know, like I would say one person that has had a huge influence on me um, lately, like a recent one, um, would be um, there's a there is a woman um, that I was able to connect with on Instagram, that space that has become so special to me, um, who is a disabled mom, another wheelchair using mom. I feel like connecting with this woman, um, she has two young kids and I'm pretty new at this. My son's just 10 months old. But uh, the day I found out I was pregnant, um, which I was, oh gosh, that was very, it was a big shock to me to find out I was pregnant. I didn't know that I would be able to have conceive. And so it was like very big news to me. And I remember uh, I was terrified. I was very, very scared about what that would mean for me. Um, and this woman um, posted this picture of her with her son and uh, her name is Alex Weg- Wegman. And um it was something, I think that the post had something to do with like the pace that she had with her son, like kind of moving through life, um, a little bit, like, I think she was talking about sort of a slower pace that she had as a disabled mom with her, this rhythm that she was creating with her son. And then she did some sort of hashtag, like disabled parents or something. Um, and just seeing her, oh, like embody that role, talk about that the nuances of that role. Um, I cannot express how empowering that was for me. Um, who not only was I not used to seeing disabled women, um, kind of, um, existing in the world around me in one, in, in, as just single women, but like disabled parenting, forget it. Like I've never, I had never seen any approximation of anything that would look like what I would, to end up being as a parent, a disabled parent, I'd never seen that before. Um, and the, the way that she occupied that space and gave language to it for me was an enormous game changer for moving into motherhood myself. 
Um, that was huge for me, um, to be able to see and continues to be like, I'm, I'm a little obsessed with her. Um, I, every update from her, I'm like, what's going on for Alex and what is she experiencing as a parent and what is it looking like and what is she struggling with and what are her victories? Like, it's just huge to be able to see that representation for me. That's beautiful. And I think that it's some, we all have role models that we lean on at times. And Mm -hmm. I think when you were saying a, a slower pace, I was just sitting here thinking geez I wish I had a bit of a slower pace when I had my son because you know as we were talking before we got on the show enjoy the moment because it goes so fast Mm -hmm. I to me it's such a long long distant memory um Mm. yeah so going slow pace sounds like that would be a nice thing to to have yeah Um, yeah I I actually I have can I just say one more thing about this lower Go pace? Go for it. Go for um, it. Because I just, this was, this was, speaking of like those moments where you can't unsee something or the shift, Alex gave me one of these. Um, I was talking with her about transferring my son into the car. Um, and it's a pretty elaborate process for me to transfer in and out of the car. Well, it doesn't feel elaborate. I think it looks elaborate to other people. Um, even when I'm just by myself, getting my chair in and out of, out of the car is kind of a, a routine. But adding my son into it is like an extra, extra layered routine, right? Because I strap him to me in the house and then we roll down the ramp and pop down the curb. And then I transfer both of us into the car and unstrap him and get him put in the, in the car seat. And then I get back in my chair and get into the front seat and then put my car, my wheelchair into the the car. So it's kind of a lengthy ritual. Um, And people are often wanting to intercept that when we're in public and help and assist in some way. And I'm used to that even before I had my son. That's a common occurrence. Um, But but I was explaining to her why that was really frustrating to me. And I said something like, you know, I'd have to explain to them how to do it. And it's just faster if I do it anyways. And she she kind of paused and took a beat. And she said, even if it wasn't faster, even if it was slower, there's a certain amount of dignity in you being able to do that with your son by yourself. Like there's a dignity in being his mom and being the one to get him in and out of the car, regardless of the speed of that ritual. And I was just like, oh, it just struck me like, oh my goodness, it doesn't, I don't have to prove my right to be his mom by being able to do everything as fast as possible. Like as if that's the merit that I have, or that's the achievement is that I, or my proof that I'm his mom is that I do it really fast. Like, so since she said that, I have, every time we do this ritual, I've kind of prompted myself to slow down. And so when I'm in the car with him and I pull him out of the carrier and I'm about to transfer him into his car seat, I just pause and and talk to him about like, we're outside and look at the sky and how does that feel? And we give each other a few kisses. And then I put him in the car seat and I'm, I was just sort of leaning into this idea of like, um, my like disabled mom aesthetic or something as being this sort of like, we can move slowly and you know, we can't always move slowly. Sometimes we're running late and we have to rush, but if we can move slowly through that moment, like why would we not relish are the intricacies and, and sort of unique rhythm of the rituals that we get to have that are so distinct to our relationship. Um, so anyways, I, 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 that's, that was a huge shift for me of thinking about the pace that when we can go slow, let's go slow and let's really lean into this dance that we have with each other. Oh, I love that. And I think, and that's what we were talking about, about going slower. It's about 
enjoying the moment. I love the way that you call it ritual because it is a ritual. It is about being mindful with every single step because when you're in the moment, you enjoy the moment rather than thinking about where I need to get to, what time, you're actually missing out in the present moment, in the now. Exactly, exactly. And I'm so grateful that she she prompted that shift in me, um, that I, I don't need to prove anything by going fast. Like we can go slow. And, and you, like you said, it goes by so fast. Like, Oh, if we can just be in this moment, um, why, why would we not? Let's, let's try to sink into this moment. So I've been, that's what we've been doing lately. Mm. Oh, that's so powerful. Very powerful. All of us to be in the moment and be in the Mm -hmm. present moment and not, sometimes we can be too far ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes we get stuck in the past, you know. I think yes. that really the only thing that really exists is is the now. So, Rebecca, mm-hmm. as we start wrapping up the show, we always love to ask our woman of inspiration to pick one word that best describes her brand. What would be that one word for you, my dearest? Oh, ooh, one word. Okay. Um, I wonder if I would say, oh, gosh, can I choose two? Is it, is it, am I just breaking the rules if I no, did it? No, you oh, can choose two, words, two darling. Of two course words can. with a slash. Okay. My two words would be both and. Um, I feel like over and over and over again, um, as a disabled woman, as a mom, I come back to this space of both and. We get to be both. So as a disabled person, I get to feel the grief of the loss um, in my body. But I also also hand in hand with the loss is the joy of my, of my body. Right. Um, as a mom, I, I get to, um, I get to relish the joy of having this little person in my life. And I also get to grieve my life as a single woman, um, as, as a, as a not parent and the freedom that comes with that. And I, I feel like so much, we feel the pressure to, um, only feel the good things and only, only reach for, um, the bright and shiny. And I feel like I, what I have found so much in my life is that I, 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 um, empowered by being able to reach for the range, um, and the fullness that is, um, the human experience. So the loss and the grief and the joy and the victory and the defeat and the, and, and the sweetness and like all of it together, both. And it's, it gets to be both. We get to be both. Um, yeah, both. And is, is it for me? I, I love that. And I think that it's, it's, uh, it resonates with me too. I think it's one of those things you're right. You know, we put so much pressure on ourselves to just think of the positive and like you talked about the shiny, the shiny bits, but really it's, it's, what we're doing, we're actually not really dealing with it because we're repressing it. We're not allowing it to flow through our body and and actually feel the presence of it. I, I give myself a time. So I will say, uh, Catherine, it's okay. Feel it. But feel it for about 48 hours or 72 hours. And then <laughs> and then, then you get back to some normality. So I think mm-hmm. it's really important for the allowing these emotions to flow through, allowing these uh, feelings and these thoughts to, to flow through, but not get caught up in them, but allow them to flow through as I'm saying that I'm always I always have a visual about me lying by the riverbed and then just allowing this river to run through acknowledging it but not getting caught up in it yeah yeah I you know I think for my I think that's so important to note I think for my personal experience it's interesting that you say 48 hours because I think that um that is the natural course of it for me like if I if I 
let myself feel it. It's about 48 hours of feeling it, something like that, you know, 24, 48 hours. And if I don't let myself feel it, it's like what an indefinite stretch of months of me fighting, feeling it, um, versus just like, let it run its course and let it be. And, and, and what I have found is that it, it always inevitably passes. Like I, and, and, and maybe that's, um, maybe that's, Maybe I've just jinxed myself, um, but like normally, it, it feels like that's the natural course of it for me. Mm, absolutely, and I, and I think I agree. If you don't deal with it there and then, it will last a lot longer and come up in little like I always say, it will pop its head up every now and then. So it could last yeah. for weeks or even months. Absolutely, yeah. So the yeah, last that's how it works for me. Sorry, darling. The the last that's question. That's how it works for me. Sorry. Oh, I did it again, jinx. That's how you, it works you for you. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> So Rebecca, um, we're on to the last question that we always ask a woman of inspiration is to pick three shiny golden nuggets that you would like to leave for our listeners today. So that could be three practical exercises for our audience. Mm. Okay. So as we're talking about the slowing down and um, being in the moment, one thing that has become, this is something I've done on and on on and off in my life, but I feel more urgent about it now that I'm a, a parent and everything feels like it's going by so much faster. Um, my partner, Mike and I bought this book. Um, it's called like a five year book, I think. And every day we have about six lines in this notebook to just jot down the moments, like the moments we want to hold on to from that day. Um, and it could be, um, I think, let's see, uh, like a recent one was, um, I was singing the little mermaid to Otto, the, um, one of those little mermaid songs. And, um, and he started singing the note with me. Um, and that was just like, oh, my baby is singing with me. We got to write it down in the book. Um, and so we just jot down these little moments from our days, um, and, and, um, we found that if we like forget to do it a day and we sit back and we're like, what was yesterday? I don't even remember. Like it's going by so fast. All of these moments, um, we just want to capture them and, and put them into writing so that we can hold on to them. Um, as these days are going by so fast and turning into months and auto's going to be a year. Um, so that's one thing that we've done that has been a game changer. Um, I think, um, as we're thinking about, um, like another theme that we talked about today, um, was, um, kind of thinking about these, these major shifts and, um, and listening to our intuition and, um, paying attention to all of the feelings, uh, the range of feelings. Um, and I find that, um, one of the ways that I, or one of the things that kind of pushes me out of that headspace um, can be like social media scrolling and following, following accounts of people that seem to live lives that are only bright and shiny and only um, easy and beautiful and lovely. Um, and so I think being really mindful of what I'm allowing in and what stories I consume um, it has been a pretty important thing for me um, and bringing in more voices from people who, who maybe um, challenge me or, um, or bring me back to the, that heart space that I am trying and striving to live from anyways. Um, there's a lot of, you know, 
gosh, social media has been such a beautiful part of community and connection in my life. But as we all know, I don't think I'm saying anything really terribly new here. Um, it can, it can really send some poison, um, (laughs) into your mind as well. And, um, and kind of, um, take you out of that heart space and kind of hold up a picture of this idea of who you think that you should be. Um, so I think being really mindful about that space has been important for me too. Um, and then what would be a last one? We said three golden nuggets. Um, yeah, can we just, I, I kind of want to go back to that golden nugget of slowing down when we can, right? Like, um, I think the world that we live in encourages speed and productivity, um, at every turn. And I think, um, I think being able to resist that and when we can and, and intentionally just be slow in a moment, um, that we, maybe it's a moment that we are used to doing very quickly and, and, and rushing through because it's a a mundane task, like loading up the car. Um, but I think as much as we can choose to slow down into those moments, that's living, that's, that's getting to live your life, right? Like, um, that's kind of a game changer too. So maybe that's my third, my Mm. third gold nugget is like when you can, um, just slow down into those moments, even if they, if they seem kind of, if you're used to rushing through them or they seem mundane, um, that's your life. That's our life this moment. Um, so, you know, Love it. <laughs> I love all three and I love the moments. Like that is so cool. I'm going to do that. That is amazing. I love it. Oh, so, good. Rebecca, where's the best place for our listeners to find you? Uh, well, I have a website um, that's sort of the hub, um, RebeccaTossig.com. Um, but I'm on Instagram mostly. Like I, if, I'm, if something news come out or if I um, just post an interview or a podcast or something, Instagram is the place that I will be. So at um, sitting underscore pretty. I love it. Rebecca, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show and sharing your story and your, your amazing, your bubbles, your passion, <laughs> your time, your energy. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. I love it. And I know that people are going to reach out to you. So thank you so, so very much. Thank you for having me. This was really delightful. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so very much for listening to today's episode. If you loved what you heard and this topic really resonated with you and you think it will help others, please share the show with your friends to help us make a difference. And if you want to be part of our mission to help empower the conscious people of this world to learn and grow, then the best way to help us achieve this goal is by giving us a good review on iTunes or please subscribe to the show. The more subscribers, the better the speakers for the show, which then means more value for you so that together we can help the world become a better place. Don't give it another thought. Hit that subscribe button and help people get their weekly lessons. And when you do, please be sure to let us know by sending us an email to collect your special gift where you have a choice from six guided meditations or an ebook to soothe your soul. Now, if you have any questions or special guests that you would like to hear from, please send us an email to support at katrinplano.com.au and we will get right back to you. You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Katherine Plano. Until next week... 
please take care of yourself. Much love and gratitude. Thank you.